So come on up. I'm going to pray for you. I won't take long and take your time in introducing you, but just to say it's such a privilege having you with us. I've known you for a few years now. I met you first when I preached at Street Baptist many years ago now. Well, maybe like six or seven years ago. It was quite a long time, wasn't it? Um, But uh, presently, Damien is home uh, here in Somerset uh, in between uh, trips out to Iraq, and we'll be going back out to Iraq at the end of this year. That's the plan, isn't it? So we're blessed to have him whilst he's here to come and share his heart. And I've given Damien 20 minutes or so, and... um, He's got free reign to just share what he feels the Lord has put on his heart and so you hear some of his story as well. Um, Shall we pray for this amazing guy? And would you like this one? Clippy one? Or would you like a handheld? Yeah. Should we put Clippy down? So gracious God, thank you so much for our time so far. Thank you that you're so evidently with us this morning. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Let's come and fill... Damien now, as he shares his heart and all that you've done, Lord, through him and are still to do. And Lord, stir our hearts, I pray, this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Matt. It's such a pleasure to be here with you all. It's a truly a privilege. And I just want to say a massive thank you to Matt for organizing it. We've been chatting, we've been praying about it, and to finally be here, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, one of the things that I um, think about when I thought about the words of Matthew, about the salt of the world. Um, I don't know if Matt knows this or not, but during the COVID period, I was severely ill. I nearly lost my life, as a matter of fact. And while I was having COVID, I remember my sisters, they brought me this amazing burger and I was eating it and I was like wow isn't this an amazing texture no flavor at all all I could feel is the texture of the food can you imagine eating and not feeling any taste at all you know and it gets me thinking like why is it important that Jesus had to preach about the salt of the world why is it important And the reason he was preaching about that is because, well, our Lord is just simply the most wisest of them all. He knew that without flavor, as Christians, we lose our identity. We lose the purpose of why we were made. We lose the purpose of why we were created. You know? And there is also a chemical question in there. I don't know how many of you remember when you were in your chemical school exams and you had to, you know, learn and study. Uh, if you've come across that salt loses taste, how many of you think salt can lose its taste? Any hands up? Well, technically, the salt cannot lose its flavor. However, Jesus does say he, you know, that salt can lose its flavor. And you come to think, well, wait a minute, Jesus, what are you saying? Do you not know chemistry? After all, you're really God. Surely you know chemistry. But actually what he was referring to, and this is a true fact, in Jordan, uh, which is near Iraq, they used to tend to collect the salt from the Dead Sea. And they used to use the sun to dry it. So the water would evaporate and then what would remain behind would be salt. 
but amongst the salt you would have calcium, algae, and other chemicals. But if for some reason humidity used to get into the salt, then the salt would melt away, and the calcium and the algae and all those other chemicals would remain. And actually there is a cultural thing in Iraq and in Jordan to use then that material which has lost its flavor to fill up holes in the ground, which Jesus said that it will end up in the street. You will stample upon it. They have these open roofs, and sometimes they have a hole. They will use this material to fix it. But also in the past days, salt was extremely important, as we read in history, that many of the Roman people, they used to earn their wages in salt. Can you even imagine going home to your wife and saying, well, honey, today I've got two bags of salt. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? But as a matter of fact, salt was incredibly important. This is why Jesus says, do not lose your flavor. Because he wanted us to have that strong caliber, that strong characters of a Christian who obeys our Lord. So a little bit about me, if you can have the first slide up. I'm trying to get to the slide as well so we can look at it together. Um, There we are. So about me. I have uh, a beautiful wife, Emma. Emma, would you like to stand up for me, please? I know that's challenging sometimes, but that's my lovely wife. Let me tell you that I could not do whatever I'm doing without her. She's such a great supporter of the work I'm doing in Iraq. And she's a real prayer warrior. If she wasn't there by my side, believe me, I would not be able to do none of this work. That's what I believe. Then I have my son Elian there. And guess how old he is? How many of you would you say he's 16? Uh, He's not. (laughs) He's actually 13. 13 years old. Just turned 13, not long ago. And he's one of our leaders of worship in Iraq. Then I have Arnold and George. George is at university in London. He studies media. And he has one more year and then he'll finish. Arnold, um, he's my middle son. And he's 20 years old and he's in Somerset. And sometimes when I do go out preaching the gospel, he tends to come with me. So he's a great supporter in that area as well. So yeah, we've been missionaries now for almost 20 years. Well, 20 years plus for my wife. And we've been missionaries in Romania. We've been missionaries here in England for four years. And six years in Iraq. If you go to the second slide... It's about our calling. You're probably wondering, like, how did God call us? The reality is that I was going on with my life. I didn't intend to be a missionary. It wasn't something I planned it overnight, and I was contemplating these thoughts in my head, thinking, you know what? 
A great career would be to become a missionary. Wouldn't that be amazing? Absolutely not. I actually was staying far away from that. And the reason for it was quite simple. In my head, missionaries were somebody who were these great theologians, these great people, who had to have an incredibly lucid mind, because they were the apt ones that were able to preach the gospel to the lost. I was unable to do that. I was thinking. And through many people praying for me, and believe it or not, actually prophecies as well, people used to come to me and tell me, God will call you one day. And I was thinking, me? But I'm not good. I'm, I'm good to go to church on a Sunday morning. I'm okay to do that. But not to be called to be a missionary. That's well beyond me. There is people who, who have a greater education than I have in theology. It will take me years to re, relearn everything and how to share the gospel. But then one night, while I was doing my work, I was a manager... I've signed one of my biggest contracts ever. And while I've signed it, I went to church the next day, and I heard these words. Nobody can preserve their lives by saving it. But whoever will lose their lives for my sake, they will receive it. And I thought, wow, this is so deep. And I felt God was calling me to share the gospel with the lost. But it was such a deep calling that I remember I was weeping and crying. And I said to God, but Lord, so how would I leave? How would I do this? And basically what I've done is I said to God, I have a deal with you. So here is the deal. I'll go to work. You fire me. And then I'll do whatever you tell me. But then, Because then I can trust that. Right? If I quit, then it's all me. But if you fire me, then it's all you. So then I went to work the next day. Literally the next day. And I've been called in the office. Every time I was called in the office, I was called to be praised because I was excellent in what I was doing. I understood business. I've done business for many years. I know how it functions. I know what to look out for. I know my numbers. I know all that stuff. Business is what I have in my DNA. So I was good at it. So when I was called in the office, I thought, it's going to be a bonus. It's going to be a praise. It's going to be one of those things. (laughs) But no, this time it turned out to be something entirely different. My boss said to me, Damien, would you do me the favor? These are the exact words. Damien, would you do me the favor of not coming back to work? And I'm thinking, is this a joke? This can't be real. And I've I've asked the person, I said, is this a joke? And she goes, no. I said, well, I have a contract. Legally, you can't just ask me this. There is rights in this country that are governed by laws. And I said, but tell me the reason why you don't want me to come to work anymore. And guess what she says? Your faith. This is what she picked up on. Your faith is too strong. And I couldn't understand. Like, we've never spoken about faith. How? How is this the subject of, of the problem that you're asking me not to come back to work? But then I remember that the a day before on Sunday I prayed and I said, God, I'll make a deal with you if you fire me. <laughs> right? And I, that's when I got it. It clicked in my head. I said, yes, Lord. This is the moment. This is how you are calling me. So I, I said to, to my manager, I said, okay, I won't be coming back to work. I didn't sue them. I didn't pursue it. I just left. 
And then I started to do mission work here in Somerset. I started to get through my savings and everything I had, everything I built. Slowly they were going down and down and down and down to the point where I ran through everything I had. My house was taken away. My cars were taken away. Everything was taken away. I gave everything up for the Lord. And I said to God, Lord, I know you will provide when there will be nothing left. When I will hit the ground, that's when you will provide the next things that I need in order to move on. Right? Because this is how God works. If you have everything in place, sometimes he says, well, you have everything in place, use that. We can't expect God to move in a different way. This is where the salt comes into place, to be that flavor of Christian, which, which faith is the substance of things unseen. It's to trust him, isn't it? That's what Hebrews says about. You know, if you were to close your eyes just for a second and imagine yourself on a cliff. And as you close your eyes, I want you to imagine the top of the cliff. And now when you look down, I want you to see the sea. You feel the breeze breathing on you? See, that's faith. The substance of things unseen. You know it's there. You know it's there. You know what it feels like. That's faith. That's how faith manifests. So when everything was taken away from me, that's what I had. I had that faith, the substance of things unseen that I believed that God can provide for me. And what God has done is basically one day, it was a Wednesday, I came home after a very long day of mission work. I was absolutely shattered. My wife is calling me and she says, we have nothing in the house now. It's, we lived in a caravan, said we have nothing. Nothing, everything is gone. Can you just bring a bread when you come back home? And I said, well, okay. I checked my bank account and there is not even one single penny. This is midnight. Not a single penny. I do not expect any money to come from anywhere at all. Nobody owed me money. I did not expect money. It shouldn't come. It shouldn't exist. All I've done was I said, Lord, here I am. This is the moment. Is it going to be one of those George Mueller things? Is this the night when you will answer my prayer miraculously? And if you do so, Lord, this will fire me up to carry on and going right to the ends of the world for you. Because I know that this night will prove whether you are there for me or everything I put my faith into is just my own illusion. And I'm praying. I said, Lord, I do not want ten pounds. I want one pound. One pound is enough. If you place one pound in my bank account, I'll buy a bread. I'll eat that bread, Lord, and I'll give you thanks for it. Just like people were enjoying that manna, I'll believe that that's the best meal I'll ever have. And I'm happy to carry on with that. Nothing else. I don't want anything else. If you give me that, that's enough. That's how my faith was at that time. And I put my card in. Because I checked my balance and there is zero. I put my card in. And I put my pin. And there was over 3,150 pounds in my bank account. I jumped backwards. And I shouted, Lord, what did you do? Lord, what did you do? This is crazy. I... This is more than I ever thought possible, ever. Like, how did you even do this? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And guess what? For all my life, for six years plus, 
This is exactly how the Lord has sustained the mission work. Supernaturally, miraculously, God is able to do that. If we go to the second slide. Why Iraq? Iraq wasn't always the place where I planned. It's not something I had it on my mind. I was like, you know what? Okay, God, you called me. I'm going to go to Iraq. No, 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 no. It was nothing like that. But I started to pray and really ask God, asking him, Lord, you're telling me that I was born for a reason. I was made to represent you. A light that shines, as we just read. A light that shines. You don't hide it under a bucket. We have the Romanian word, obrok. And I just love this word, obrok. It's like an old gadget in the past times that people used to have to literally cover the light. It's like a bucket that they used to collect corn in. And that's what the translation in Romanian was, obrok. And first time I read that, I'm like, wow. I don't want to be that kind of light that hides under a bucket. I want to be that light that shines. But I want to shine, Lord, where the darkness is greater. Because when the darkness is greater, folks, isn't that when the light shines the brightest? Because imagine if we had no windows in here. And I had a tiny little light the tiniest light, you would be able to see it from a far away. Light shines greater in the darkness. I don't know, maybe Matt has preached that the world is a dark place. Maybe not, I don't know. Um, I certainly do like to preach about the fact that we do live in a dark world because it is true, we live in a dark world. But guess what? This is why it's great. Because we, little lights, We can shine brighter than ever. So when I was praying and I was asking Jesus, where do you want me to shine? And that's after weeks and months of prayer. He answered, he said, Iraq. And you might wonder how. I was praying and while I was praying, I said to God, Lord, I have some background in Turkey. There was a time of my life when I lived there. I already learned the language and I said, I think, maybe that's a great place, Lord. Because I've done Romania and I said, maybe, maybe that's the place. And God is like, no, I've already got people in there. So just Google it. I've done the search and guess what? There's many Christians that already shine brightly in there. And the Turkish people are receiving the word so quickly. And they grow so quickly. It's unbelievable. If you were to have a trip with these mission trippers that go to Turkey, you would come back praising our Lord. Because the way they receive Jesus is unbelievable. It's incredible. So I said, I want to be part of that. And God is like, no. I want you to go to a place where nobody wants to go. And I... I've done some research, I was praying, and while I was Googling things and searching things, and I was talking to NGOs and other missionaries, everybody said, nobody wants to go to Iraq. There is a war going on in there, Christians are being decapitized, literally. Baghdad is the head of Muslim uh, uh, culture. 
And they decapitate people in there, literally. Just, we brought some letters in, and if you were to pick up one of our newsletters, you will see this is our latest news. One of our disciples, he had to go and pick up the head, the decapitated head of his uncle. I, I don't even want to imagine that myself doing it, because that's quite horrendous. And yet this man is incredibly strong in the Lord, and he preaches the gospel to the lost. He's persevering. Instead of giving up, saying, why do we have this God who allow all this evil? No, he carries on telling people, you have to come to this guy. You have to come to Jesus, because he is the only way out for you. Amen to that. (laughs) So when I was searching and I found out that nobody goes to Iraq, that's when I decided. I said, Lord, if this is where you want me, then you have to provide all the finances. And I prayed. I simply done that. Pray. And while I was praying, I set a time and I set a date. I said, Lord, this is the day, if you want me to go to Iraq, this is the day when I will go. It was October. I said, I will go in October. If I have to walk, I will walk. I don't care if it's 10,000 kilometers or 10,000 miles away. I'm happily doing it. But Lord, if you are willing to support it financially... Because tickets do cost money, traveling costs money, and this is not about money. Today I'm not here to ask you for money. Actually, I'm here to recruit you, if you haven't guessed quite yet. This is a recruiting job for me today. I want you to answer the call. I want to tell you how amazing the Lord is, how he provides. And it's not just for me. I'm not more special than you are. So that's why I'm here, is that you would be recruited, first of all. So, back to the story. I said, Lord, I will walk it. This has to include faith. We have to be the soul. We have to be the light, right? We have to have that strong essence of Christianity. Yet we live in this world, but we are not part of the world. We abide under the law, but we overcome the law. Because this is who we are. We are different. We are part of the kingdom of Jesus. So I went into a Christian mission camp for two weeks. And every day I prayed. All I've done is just pray and pray and pray. I said, Lord, time is coming closer. I'm going to walk it. Are you going to provide the finances that I need? Or am I going to walk? I'm going to walk. I'm going to do it, Lord. I love you that much that I'm going to walk it. Because I read the story that said that there was this missionary Indian person who traveled from far away town into another village. They beat him. They thrown him out. And because he was beaten, he was resting by this tree. And one of the ladies, she was going to get some water from the river. And while she was going, she looked at this man's feet. And they, his feet was bleeding. And she went back to the village and she said, Guys, I think we've done a mistake here. I think this man had an important message for us. His feet are bleeding. He must have come from far away. We must listen to him. He has something to say. And guess what? The entire village turned to Jesus because of that man's feet. That's what I had in my head. I said, I'll walk, Lord. 10,000 kilometers, 10,000 miles, I'll just do it. Two days before I'm about to go, a brother calls me and he says, the Lord has placed it in my heart. I don't have much money, but what I do have is some credit cards. 
I'll give them to you and use them however you see fit. I was blown away. He's entrusting me. Like, this is personal details. This is people's personal bank accounts. Can you imagine giving your own personal bank account to a stranger? That's what God does. He gave me his credit card. I've done my trip. And I've seen many miracles. Let me tell you some of them. One night I was in the lobby of a hotel room. And I was burning with the desire to share the gospel. I share the gospel all the time. But this night was my source of last night. And I said, Lord, I have not seen anything that I wanted to see. I want to see something different. Please, would you just use me? And as we stand there, a group of men, all Muslims except me, a conversation started. And one thing leads to another, and I'm telling him about Jesus. I'm nothing rude or anything, because I believe that the gospel best way shared is through love, compassion, understanding, that middle ground. That's how I do it. And yet this man, he got so angry that he ran across the room, across the lobby, in the hotel room, a group of men in there. Now you have to remember this is the time when bombs are going on, because when I first arrived in Iraq, a lorry exploded in half, bullets were running by. It was terrifying. (laughs) That was my welcoming in Iraq. So this man, when he came and he touched my neck and he wanted to kill me, I felt the The strength in my legs has gone, and I said, this is it, Lord, I'm coming into your heaven. I'm coming, Lord. I was ready. But I said, before I, before this happens, I said, Lord, would you give me something here that would change the situation? Not for my safety, but this man would know you. And quickly, the Lord gave me this question. And I asked it, and I said, why do you love Mohammed so much that you are willing to kill me for him? And the man loved the question. He calmed and he started to share everything about Muhammad with me. I found nothing interesting or loving to make me fall in love with Muhammad. With all due respect, I have not. And then he goes, but why do you love Jesus? And I took a moment and I said, hmm. I said, you don't know this, but let me tell you. There is a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is praying, he's asking his disciples to pray with him. It's the night before his betrayal. And he's praying. He's praying so hard that he literally sweats and transpires blood. And he says to the Father, Father, if it is in your will to remove this cup from me, do it. But if not, let your will be done. Wow. I question that many times. Like, what was inside the cup? And Isaiah answers that. Isaiah says that he has become seen for us. And that's what was inside the cup. My sin. And I I, I explained to the man all my sins. I confessed to him literally. I said, look, all these disgusting sins that I have committed, Jesus took him upon himself. He who had no sin became sin for me. And then I said, you... Everything you have done, and you, and you, and you. I said, Jesus took all that upon him. 
I said, the death that I, I supposed to receive, I supposed to be dead. I supposed to be killed, and he would have been right to do so. But he chose to kill his only son so that I can be free. I said, how could I not love him? I love the Lord so much. And basically, the man and everyone in that room, they said, let us get down on our knees and let us pray. They wanted to kill me just a second ago. And now, they're asking me to pray for them, for their wives and their children. Can you even believe this? What the power our Lord has to do these kind of things. Other situation, there was traps set up for me. I was invited to these traps. In the middle of nowhere, I went. Because I said, Lord, if I preach the gospel to one single member of ISIS, if I do that, Lord, imagine what this man will do. He'll be like a wildfire. And guess what? One of the ISIS members is a Christian now. One of our disciples, and he set up a house church in Syria. And basically, he's receiving threats against his little daughter. They said to him, if you're going to continue to meet and gather Muslims in here and telling them about Jesus, we're going to kill your daughter. And guess what? He pushes through. This is the essence of being the salt of the world. Can I just quickly read you something, which I think it's amazing? This is an epistle. This is not a Christian epistle. This is an epistle of a man who was wondering, who are these Christians? Where do they come from? Why are they different? And this is what his letter goes like. Christians are not fundamentally different from other people in the world. They share commonalities. They do not lead distinctive lives in terms of their choice of housing, clothing, or the land they inhabit. They do not reside in specially designed towns or cities exclusively meant for Christians. Nor do they use a different language from the local population. Their way of life is not strange or bizarre. In Greece, where they reside, they embrace the customs and traditions of the villages they belong to. Their attire, dietary habits, and overall lifestyle align with the local norms. However, they exhibit a remarkable and universally recognized way of living that can only be described as miraculous. They stay in the country of their birth, but feel like foreigners. As they experience all the rights and sufferings of foreigners, they are considered citizens of the countries they inhabit, yet they are seen as outsiders wherever they go. They go through the milestone of life like marriage and childbirth, just like everyone else. They abide by the laws of the land they live in, although they sometimes face resistance or overcome challenges posed both by the laws. They hold love for all, but everyone seems to pursue them with harmful intent. They are often misunderstood, yet they face condemnation from many. They face persecution, 
yet they receive spiritual life. They may experience poverty, yet they have enriched the lives of countless others. They may lack certain things or have limited resources, but in every aspect of their existence, they are blessed and find contentment. They may be mocked, yet they radiate an even greater glory. They may perform acts of kindness, yet they may be punished as if they were evil. They may face hardships, but they find joy as if they were gaining life itself. This is what Christianity looked like in those times. And that's what Christianity should look like these times. That's why I am in Iraq. That's how our disciples that came to Jesus, that's how they live. Every day of their life they go out and they spread the gospel. Once they have encountered Jesus, they turned around entirely. They boldly risking their lives every day. And I'm immensely proud of them. And I think this is what God is calling every one of us to be little lights. Little light. As, uh, what's his name? One of the greatest authors of all times, Louis. C.S. Lewis. He said that the purpose of the church simply exists merely to point um, to Christ. To make little lights. That's one of his quotes. And I really strongly believe that. If you go to the next slide. So, this is what we do in Iraq. We have several schools that we run. We have 800 children. And what we like to do, just like Paul has done with Timothy, is encouraging them, challenging them. One of my most memorable times was, I was in that particular room class where the balloons are. We have 16 children in that class. I was preaching about the prodigal son. And after months of preaching, months of praying for them, Finally, the day has come and I asked, which of you (coughs) wants to belong to our Lord? Which of you wants to belong to Jesus? And with such a joy on their faces, all 16 of them said, we want this. So right now they are being discipled in Iraq by a team of people. They are being looked after. And the picture below, what you can see in there is basically a campsite. That's probably one of our biggest ones. Uh, a lot of ISIS members in there. And basically, these people never, they're not allowed to go out. Never. Because being a refugee means you're not allowed to go anywhere except there. That's a great privilege because we can share the gospel with them. If we go to the next one, uh, these are some of our disciples. That's what our church looks like. We try to preach the gospel with a distinction. And what is the distinction? Being the salt of the world. Being the light of the world. Being distinctive. Yet we live in those countries, like one of them. We dress like them. We eat like them. But our life says something different. If we go to the next one. This one here is the camp from one other angle. Uh, It's just a big tent. And what I would invite you to do is to come and join us. Uh, If you go to the next slide. 
come and join us. Be part of it. God can use you. I think the Lord will be able to use you in such a way that you have never thought before. Let me tell you how hungry these people are for the Lord. The moment you give them the Bible, and they never read the Bible, many of them, but the moment they start to read it, they literally burst down in tears and they cry. It's like their ears have never heard those kind of words. Yet we read them freely every day. But they don't have that chance. And the time they get it, they cry. They're emotional. They're receiving it with joy. Just like in the book of Acts. And that's why we are also involved in sending Bibles over the mountain. Backpack. We pay people to go and distribute them to villages. People who never had the opportunity to ever see a Bible in their hands, now they can. And isn't this amazing what God is doing? God is able to use you folks. So thank you for allowing me time of your time to share with you our experiences, our work in Iraq. Do pray for it, do support it, but the greatest support you can give it is you joining, please.